podcast about film and feminism. I'm Contrera and I'm here with Nick. Hello. And this is another episode while I'm in the middle of recording the season two episodes because I wanted to talk about Captain Marvel which we saw a couple of days ago and I thought that it was of particular interest to the listeners of this podcast. (laughs) Firstly, I thought that we should say that this is a going to be a huge spoiler. So if you haven't seen Captain Marvel, stop now and go and watch the film. Um, and I think the first thing we should do is go through the plot. Can I remember the plot? Well, is the question. Yeah. Yeah, basically I can. Okay, so we recorded an earlier episode where we tried to go through the whole plot and we'd spent 30 minutes talking about it yeah. and we still hadn't, and we got, still to hadn't got to the end <laughs> and we thought this is the worst podcast episode ever made. So we've decided to re-record with a shortened <laughs> version of the plot. Okay, I'm going to try it now in five minutes. Go for it. Okay. Go for it. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch in where I can. Yeah, tell me where I've got something wrong. We're just about to have lots of time. Okay, so film starts with... Uh, character called Veers, played by Brie Larson, seeing a dream of, of a character called the Supreme Intelligence, which to her looks like Annette Benning, and they're having some kind of thing about you've forgotten your past. She wakes up, she, she goes over and sees and knocks on the door of Jude Law, who plays a character called Yon Rog, and they all wear these blue outfits. And she says, I can't sleep, I'm having dreams again. So they have a fight and Yon Rog punches her in the face. It's like a play fight, Matrix training. But still, it shows a man punching a woman in the face. And it's clear at that point that Veers has some kind of power, some kind of electricity power, because when she gets punched, she wants to use it, and her fist glows, and she wants to use it to punch Jean Rog. Um, And he's like, control your power, you need to control your emotions, which is one of the themes of the film. It turns out that both Veers and Yon Rog are an alien species called Kree, which are blue, have blue blood, and their primary motivation is to protect their planet Hala from another species um, called Skrull. And Skrull kind of look like nicer looking orcs from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they, they, they can shapeshift though. Yeah, so. they are, well, yeah, that, that's what their natural form looks like, but they can also form into any other creature if they look at it i think they need to look at it and so there are lots of planets that border hala and so they're on a patrol the kree are on a patrol to make sure that no skrull infiltrate hala because uh skrull are set up as the enemy kree are the good guys veers works with the good guys they go to this planet on the border because they hear that uh a guy who's like a kind of attache messenger for the kree who's trying to get some information out of people on the planet is uh being uh kept captive by mm-hmm. or, or is, is his mission is yeah. going to be thwarted by the scroll they turn up on this planet with a group of people that also includes Gemma Chan. I think there's like five or six Cree and they all look super cool. 
purple and blue outfits. One of them looks like a Viking. <laughs> and um, they get to this planet and they realise that the Skrull have morphed into the locals. So they can't tell if they're Skrull or, or anyone else. And the way that Cree... Um, kind of spies or whatever they are talk to each other is they have a number of these codes which are deeply buried in their memories yeah. because I think Skrull can only access like your short term memories I think it says in the film so you, you have something from ages and ages ago and so the Skrull shouldn't be able to access that so then Veers finds this guy who is the messenger and he gives her the code so she believes it's him and it turns out to be Talos who is like a leader of the Skrull and yeah. a bad guy and she's like I don't understand how this could happen you shouldn't know this and then you see her put into a machine where she's upside down where you said when we recorded this earlier she looks like the Blair Witch Project thing well I only said that she the, the, <laughs> like the little stick creatures that they hang from the tree just reminded me of that right she looks like stick creature in the Blair Witch Project important thing to add in and we'll come she, back to that later yeah <laughs> and she gets interrogated by Talos and the scroll and uh, they are able to find her memories and that's how they can get this information and pretend to be other people because now they can get into the deeper memories by this kind of machine which kind of puts electrical pulses painfully through someone. And uh, Viz is in this machine. She has this special power in her arms and so they put these kind of metal glove bolt things on her so she can't use them, so she's trapped. And... Um, she wakes up because I think she's knocked out and she starts to see some memories which remind her of her dreams and she sees the Annette Benning character again and she sees some other memories which look like she was a fighter pilot and she looks very earthly and then um, she realises that Talos are trying to take all of her memories to get something from her that she doesn't know what and she breaks out using her power and um, she gets very angry and very upset and that's why she can break finally break off after a very funny fighting scene yeah, I thought good scene. she breaks off these chains and she uses her power to kind of destroy people she's not really she's not trying to kill anyone but she's just trying to get out of this Taylor ship where she's been taken um and she escapes in an escape pod and she sees that these these images from her dreams are related to a planet called C-53, which is Earth. And she crash lands the pod uh, in a... Blockbuster. Yes, Blockbuster video in LA in the year... 95. We, we discover because of the music that's being played <laughs> throughout the film, which is primarily... Uh, female voices, female uh, bands and singers, except for a really great use of uh, Come As You Are by Nirvana. Is it Come well, As You Are? Yeah, which wasn't even 90, yeah. which wasn't even 95. But anyway, oh, is it? When, when is it? 94? 91, 92. Sometime. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought everything else was... But everyone, everything else, I think, is around 95. And she looks at a film. One of the films she picks up in Blockbuster is... The Right Stuff. Which is a film about... Uh, the first sort of American uh, space explorers in the 40s and 50s. So that's like a meta joke mm. about exploration and her being an alien exploring, but she's coming back down to Earth, a la Planet of the Apes. And then um, there's a mall cop outside who's kind of policing the... Like, 
the kind of strip mall where Blockbuster is. And um, he, she asks him where a communications module is. And he says he points to an old fashioned phone, which is quite funny and also anchors it in the 90s yeah. as well. Yeah. And then when we previously recorded this, I made a joke about cereal because uh, the whole of cereal series one is about the phone by the Best Buy and who makes phone calls there, which means something to anyone who's listen to the podcast serial series one but doesn't mean anything otherwise and then she manages to call your rog with some amazing capabilities mm -hmm. in the meantime more cop has somehow called agent coulson and nick fury uh, the 1995 versions thereof, which we've never really gotten to the bottom to. He's called some cops, but apparently S.H.I.E.L.D. are the ones that get there first. And then Nick Fury goes over to Veers and introduces himself, and she's like, I'm Veers, I'm a Cree, I'm from Harla. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's <laughs> like, I'm trying to find out some stuff about myself, but there is this awful um, species called Scroll, and they're going to come to this planet and steal something which is on this planet, and I need to stop them. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And she's like, yeah, they're shapeshift. He's like, I don't believe that. <laughs> and then they come to the planet and then they shape shift into people and she's off. So she escapes Fury. And then Coulson's like, uh, Coulson goes missing. We don't know where he is. Fury drives after her because she gets on a train because she can tell a scroll is on the train. And the train morphs into an old lady. And then there's a scene that is a punch up. Uh, between Veers and an old lady, which is something we've probably never seen no, before on TV. And uh, it's quite realistic where she punches <laughs> her in the face. Already yeah, we've had yeah. two full-on punching in the nose of women. Although there's no blood or anything because I think it's rated 12. It's it's They want to get as many people yeah, as possible, yeah, MCU. Yeah. So you, you don't, it's, it's a bit rubbernecking. And you see Stan Lee and uh, what's Stan Lee doing? He's on the train. Yeah, he's uh, reading the Mallrats script, isn't he? Because that anchors it again in the mid-90s where he appears in Mallrats. Uh, and I saw a really good tweet from Kevin Smith where he was like, I've, I've been referencing the MCU my entire life and now they're referencing me. It's amazing, which I thought was very sweet. Um, and uh, all the people on the train are holding Veers back because she looks like a young woman who is punching out an old granny. And the granny morphs back into a scroll. And um, I think I've been saying Talos is the planet, but Talos is actually the person. I don't yeah. know what the planet is they come from. Forgive me if I've confused my tailors. It sounds like the name of a planet, not the name of a person. But that is the name of the main scroll leader, played by Ben Mendelssohn. Um, and he escapes, and then another uh, scroll is killed by Nick Fury's car in a car chase and he, Nick gets a uh, scar above his eye and you think maybe that's how he gets his... Um, uh, bad eye because I haven't mentioned in this time that of course because this is the mid-90s both Coulson and Fury have been de-aged and spend the entire film looking like 90s versions of themselves which is very weird for the first few minutes <laughs> and then suddenly you get used to it and uh, Fury's very cool he's got this very like short afro hair he looks amazing uh, then he kind of bonds there's these great bonding scenes they just seem to get on well immediately Viz and Fury um, where I remember that I didn't say this before. They go to a uh, they go to a bar and have a conversation where Veers has to work out whether Fury's a uh, scroll or not. So she asks him some personal questions about him growing up and vice versa. And she's like, "Well, no, I'm actually here because I don't know who I am. I think there's something to do with C53 and a pilot, so I need to go and find that yeah, out." Yeah. And that turns out to be at a Shield, like aircraft airport jet fighter 
thing, well, business. It's just a secret facility, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, a shield secret facility where they're, but she's a pilot. But I don't think she knows she's doing any secret stuff when she was back in the day. No, not necessarily. No. Uh, it's just that uh, yeah. Nick, Nick Fury takes Fury takes knows them there it and gets her there, but he's being pursued by Talos, who has now morphed into Coulson, is pretending to be Coulson, which is a perfect disguise. And then there's a big fight in the facility as, um, again, because this is the 90s, Veers goes and finds some like classic boxes of paper files <laughs> of who she was. There's a lot of redacted stuff, but clearly. She's a pilot and something went wrong and it looked like she died. And then she finds out she had a friend uh, co-pilot called Maria Rambeau and uh, she finds where Rambeau lives and she goes to visit her with the Skrull pursuing her. Meanwhile, Yon Rog is talking to Ronan because he's in it. And Ronan is uh, the bad guy from Guns of the Galaxy. And I think he's saying he's a Cree as well, which I wasn't sure about it. I thought I'd heard Cree as well, but they kept saying long live well, the Cree. Well, I, I, I kept wondering whether or not I, we'd need He's to, blue. We, we need to go back and watch Guardians of the Galaxy yes. again and find out what species he was actually from, because I yeah. can't remember. I think, to be honest, this is one of the films, and other people have criticised this, where you kind of need a really good understanding of quite a few previous well, MCU it, it does films. It does presume, at least at some level, that you have watched quite a mm. lot of of MCU films mm. beforehand. I think I've still been going for 10 minutes and I still haven't finished the plot. Oh my God! So, then um, uh, Ronan says to Yon Rog, you've got to go and get that. Uh, you've got to go and get the weapon or the girl or what have you. And it turns out that maybe there's a reason why Veers has her special powers that she can't control because of her emotions. And then he's <laughs> on the way to find her. The Skrull are on the way to find her. They're all meet at Rambo's house. And there's a very moving scene between Rambo and Veers where she's like, you left me. You were my best friend. You helped me look after my daughter. We were co-pilots. And that's when they have this really good like flashback scene, which is taken from the black box recorder. Uh, which I think the Skrull have, of what happened when on this fatal mission that Veers was on, which is where she went with someone called Dr. Lawson, who is the Annette Benning character who she sees in her dreams. And it turns out that Lawson wasn't, in fact, a fighter pilot, but she was uh, a, Cree, a rogue Cree alien who is trying to control power from the Tesseract to help the Skrull, because the Skrull are seen to be the Kree's enemy and they actually aren't the bad guys after all. The Kree are the bad guys in, in this. And there's this beautiful scene between Rambo and Veers where she's like, uh, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to cope without you. And it's very moving. Mm. And she's like, I can't help you because this whole film is about Veers discovering who she is because she can't remember. She just has these vague flashes of memories. And then the scroll turn up and then your rog turn up. And then it turns out that the scroll just want to find a new planet to get home. And they were told by Lawson that um, the Tesseract would help them. And uh, apparently she was going to a secret uh spaceship which is hidden near earth c53 mm -hmm. and uh they go and find that spaceship and on that spaceship they dehide it and they find the tesseract on it and they find all of these skrull family including talos's uh wife and daughter um because they've been hidden there because they were told that's how they could be safe otherwise the kree would find them and kill them and then yon rog and all the team of kree arrive and there's big fights between everybody because no one really knows who's bad or who's good or what have you but the tesseract will help the skrull 
but we all know the Tesseract is used later because Thanos uses the stone in his glove. So we know that's going to stay on Earth because I think they find it in Thor. They so do. You know, they do find yeah. It. In fact, so you... In fact, it appears in like. God knows how many yeah. Marvel films. There's a whole journey and there's a really good article by Joanna Robinson on Vanity Fair where it goes through all the journey of the Tesseract, which I read the other day. And then um, there's a really good scene where Yomrog and Veers are having this fight and you find, and she says, I'm actually Carol Danvers. And um, he's saying, get up and fight. You've got to prove yourself. You can't control your emotions. You can't use that. And she's like, I've got nothing to prove to you. And then there's this really good montage of her as a little girl up to date where she keeps falling over in a go-kart, in a plane, on a bike, and she keeps getting back up again and, and carrying on. And she's like, I've got nothing to prove to you. I'm just going to get back up again. And then she puts him in a pod and blasts him Back to Cree. We haven't even mentioned Goose. All the way through, there's a ginger cat. Yeah, but... Who they meet, I think, in the S.H.I.E.L.D. lab. Yeah, but it's not going to be a critical plot point. Well, it is a very critical plot point because Goose turns out to be something called a Flurkin, which is like an alien species, which the Skrull are absolutely terrified um, from because they realise how powerful a Flurkin is and it has this weird mouth creature and uh, Goose holds on to the Tesseract by swallowing it because it's got this quantum zone in uh. its body. I was reading up about it. Um, and Goose also should have been called Chewbacca but they weren't allowed to call it Chewy yeah. because of Star Wars. Um, Damn copyright. Yeah. And um, yeah, Goose is kind of there all the way through and it's a bonding thing between Fury and Veers. And then, um, and she sends Yonrog back to Halla with a warning to the Supreme Intelligence that she's worked out what's going on and that the Supreme Intelligence is bad and she's protecting the Tesseract. And then she previously had taken Fury's pager, the famous pager from Infinity War, yeah. because he used it to contact Coulson when he was still not sure who she was yeah. back at the time at the lab. And uh, she upgrades it and makes it like a marvellous pager. And she goes, if you're really in trouble, then call me on this in the future, which links to the cutscene from the credits in Infinity War, which we all thought it was that anyway, because it's got Captain Marvel sign. And then kind of in her, she has this last battle with Yon-Rog where she actually just uses all of her emotions, creates this amazing suit, yeah. which is red and, and blue, because she wants it to be more like the colours of the army programme she was in, the pilot programme she was in. This has still taken like 15 minutes to do the plot. And then, um, uh, and she has this amazing mohawk and she flies around and she, it turns out that she was, she's powered by the same force that powers the Tesseract because she blasted the engine of the plane that Lawson crashed because that's what Yon-Rog was coming yeah. to get. Yeah. And it covered her with like, you know, blue ectoplasm and then she became nuclear, whatever she was. And then she goes off with the scroll to find them a home planet because all she wants to do is make sure they're safe from the Cree. And that was 1995. And then that's the last time, as far as we yes. know, um, Fury and her had spoken until when he's just about to disappear, he contacts her. So finally, we've gone to the end of the plot. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Veers. Intelligence. Your commander insists that you're fit to serve. I am. You struggle with your emotions, with your past, which feels them. 
So, what did you think of the film? Oh, it was average. <gasps> Why? It just is. I mean, it's, it's a. It's a I, mean, I don't think Marvel. I don't think the MCU do bad films, so to speak. Um, but I think they are capable of doing average films, and some of them are really good. And I think this is for me was right in the average slot. But I also think that. Marvel films benefit from an ensemble cast, and uh, you might, prefer the in, ones. In my opinion, they do anyway. So well, Avengers I'm... and certain hmm. Captain America films and, and things like that. Um, uh, I need you to tell me why this film was only average, because I have a list as long as you're on of all the brilliant things about this film. Um, it, it's it just isn't okay. There's a couple of things. I don't think the plot is all that brilliant for a start. Right. Um, I also think that there's a slight issue to me with the, with the script uh, in its a, its kind of attempts to be funny. And I, I don't know how I feel about this because Marvel actually do funny pretty well. Um, I, th- I think you know Guardians of the Galaxy, and there are moments in Thor where, it, where it, they, they, you know they, they 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 nail it quite well. The funniness is a later addition, though. Uh, but, I don't but, think they but started. Either, but you either do Tony it. Stark a little but you either bit. do it or you don't. And, yeah. and and I think if you're not going to do it, you're going to make it a bit more serious, or, or however you want to structure it. But there's a lot of sort of one-liners that actually aren't really one-liners, um, and, I, and I think I'd have, I'd have rethought that. So that's what took you out of it. Well, that, that, that's just one observation which I didn't care for. But as I said, in the main, I don't. It's it's an origin story, and and in the main, I don't think Marvel origin stories are are ever really that great. They're never as good as the ensemble cast, in my opinion. Okay, so that's what it is. Yeah. So can I raise some points now, mm. and you can let me know what you think about sure. these. Number one, have you ever seen an origin movie where the main character is exploring what her own origin is because she doesn't know? Ooh, not sure. Uh, couldn't say. It's not something that springs to mind. Uh, so that, for me, was really clever because it allowed us to learn at the same time that yeah. Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Veers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel... Uh, why she is who she is. Yeah. And also the plot allows her to slowly learn who she is, what she can do with her power, yeah. and how she doesn't need to justify herself yeah. to anyone else because she is a little bit like Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen. She is the supreme mm-hmm. power and seems virtually invincible, certainly in that film. So I would say. That's something innovative. Possibly, possibly. Um, I, I don't think. I mean, it's not. I, I'm, I'm sure there are examples. I can't think of any top of my head of 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 superheroes not knowing where they came from and having to go on a bit of a journey, though. Okay. What about the fact that it's a female-helmed Marvel movie, of which there has never been one within the MCU um, yet? Yeah. Did you feel that that Made any difference to how good or bad? No, the not film not, was. not not especially. She's she's no. a she's a reasonable superhero. I mean, you look okay. forward to seeing her in the next Avengers film, definitely. Um, you know, she's you know she's got good powers. You know, she's a good actress. You know, it it, it goes down fairly well, but it's more just the overarching point of, of okay. that. Okay, so the point being, her gender has no bearing on the quality of the film or your enjoyment of the film. No, not at all. So does that mean you're saying that there could be more films made with a female central hero and it wouldn't make any impact on 
No, I don't think it would. I mean, the you, quality of the film. I mean, you're just you, you're just looking for a, a superhero with certain abilities and and so on and so forth. A, a little interactions with super with super villains and you know you you, you play them through. There's a, there's a fairly sort of standard way of doing it, whether it's Marvel or DC or whatever it happens to be. Um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's whether they're male or female. I, I think the MCU, probably like DC, is is if if, if you look through their back catalogue, is probably still very male heavy. I suspect. Yeah, it is. Um, but would you agree that it's important to have this film and to have this central female character because otherwise the MCU fanboys just think you can only be a man. Yeah, I think I think that that that. that the female MCU characters we've seen so far have been a little bit... They've not really been centrally themed, have they? So, you yeah. know, you've had, like, Scarlet Witch and... and um, Black Widow. Black Widow. Um, and there's probably a few others as well, actually. Um, the Warriors uh, in Black Panther. Yeah, and, and there's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a sort of couple Gamora. in there as well. But they're not, they're not central, are they? You, you, Gamora you, is probably, you, and Black Widow. Well, put it this way, you would never make a film directly about any of those characters, Unfortunately, necessarily. Unfortunately, no. Well, there is going to be, apparently, a Black Widow movie. That's, that's probably a little the most, bit too much, too, too that's, little, too late. That's probably, that's probably the most likely one, I would suggest. But, yeah. but you know, that in terms of... The lore of of Marvel, they're no Captain America or Iron Man, are they? That that's that's the thing. But I think. But Captain that, Marvel is, I would argue. Yeah, I think that you're underestimating the power of having a female as your lead. Yeah. And and, and also going into my next uh, point, having Nick Fury as theoretically the sidekick or the secondary character to. A female lead without flinching in any way. Mm. There is no denigration of Fury's status, even though clearly he's just an earthling man. Well, you get the feeling that he has become what he's become, or has learnt. He's been set on his on the path by her in yeah, some respects. Absolutely, um, and the scratch from uh, Goose on his eye, which yeah. created his, mm. uh, you know, nice eye patch identity. <laughs> I think that. The directors of the film, who are a male and female couple, I think they're a... I don't know if actually they're a... That's a good question. I don't know if they're a married couple. I think I might have assumed, which is a very bad thing to do. Hmm. Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck. Says they're a duo. <laughs> yep, they live in Brooklyn. I'm guessing they live together. Oh, you're making yeah. a lot of assumptions. Well, I am from the Wikipedia page, but I'm pretty sure they're together. Okay. So husband and wife team, let's say, or whatever. Um, uh, so not only is this the first female superhero-led film in the MCU, it's also the one co-directed by a woman and mm. also co-written by a number of women. I think there were yeah. five writers and I think three were women. Um, so I think that this film has shown that well, it's interesting because you have said you think it's quite an average film. I don't think it's the best um, MCU film. My favourite was Infinity War because I was completely blown away by the fact that it ended with Thanos killing half the universe. And I thought that was the boldest statement I've ever seen. Yeah, I think I, I've said that on the podcast well, I'm, before. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, when it comes to superhero films like this, I'm, I'm a big fan of 
slight, slightly over-convoluted plot lines with lots of different characters. Because yes. I, I think there's a reliance or an assumption that the audience knows who everybody is and so on and so forth, which if they're Marvel fans, they might well do. Yeah. Whereas I think Captain Marvel possibly seemed a little bit simplistic. Maybe, but I think it does a lot of things that I think you haven't noticed. It's about female characters. Primarily, it's female characters on screen. And there are lots of, like, Bechdel-busting uh, scenes where women are talking to women about things other than men. So, and, it, and it looks normal. It doesn't look shoehorned in. It has a female director. It has female writers. It has the music from women um, set, set in 1995. It has costumes that aren't in any way sexy. There is no male gaze when you're following mm. her around, unlike Wonder Woman and Justice League. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there are also people of colour in the film. Um, and it's not, you know, like, because the thing about Black Panther is as good as it was, and I think it's an I, I feel about Black Panther as you probably feel about Captain Marvel, which is that I thought it was an interesting film, but I don't think it's one of the best ones. But um, I recognise its importance because of the yeah. vast majority uh, I, people I, of colour. I probably feel the same way about about Black Panther as about Cap Captain Marvel, yeah. which is I'm not saying it's bad. It, I, yeah. I put it in the good in inverted commas, but but not one not, of, good not one of Marvel's best. But this is where I say, you know, mm. as your status on this podcast mm. as the um, white male patriarchy, yeah. neither of those films are made for you. Yeah. And I like Captain Marvel an awful lot more than you did, even though again I recognise it's not the best Marvel film. It's probably up there now in like my top three because of all the things that it shows me that I haven't seen before you know it's just there were lots and lots of like angry tweets going around talking about Star Wars and talking about the MCU and the DC universe about how audience members are male and it's like I've been going to see all of these films I'm just one person but I have lots of friends who are like you know in the industry who write and make films and they're a lot of them are women most of yeah. them are women um uh, so I, it's just really happy to have something made that speaks to me on a level that maybe it doesn't speak to you. So you have three women who are fighter pilots. Mm. When do you yeah. ever see yeah. that? Maybe, I don't know, Starship Troopers, and that's a fantasy sci-fi. Uh, you don't often see that. You have Annette Benning, a woman of a certain age as well, who yeah, yeah, is yeah. very True. much in charge, even though she doesn't really kind of do much, but she has, she's given a position of... Yeah power by simply how she presents herself on screen and how she's allowed to present herself and wearing a cool flying jacket then you also have the daughter as well who is an incredibly empowered teen figure and um i can imagine kids going to see this boys and girls or any gender will look at her and think she's super cool or look mm. at captain marvel and think she's super cool and want to be like them and that's what it should be because i'm tired of looking at male role models in superhero universe instead of looking yeah. at a female supermodel. Although I don't see Captain Marvel having a period. So when we get to that, maybe we'll get to pure equality. But then, you know, she's a little bit alien. Maybe the Tesseract like destroyed her ovaries. So I'm kind of all right with that <laughs> because it did give her this energetic power. Okay. Um, uh, I think we also need to talk about the controlling your emotions part. It's... Um, this is this is affects both men and women, I would say, but this is something that is kind of threaded through media, film, TV, and also through life. I think we have it in early education, where you know, even if you're in preschool, kindergarten, someone, a teacher will say, 
don't get angry, control your emotions because you have young children who don't know how to express themselves and so they might punch another kid or throw their pencils off the table mm. or something. And, you know, we all accept that. And I think most of the time that's kind of okay because we're told about what's the proper expression of emotions. But there is definitely, in this world still today, and part of the reason why we make the podcast is because women are constantly told stay in your place stay in your lane you're not supposed to demonstrate these emotions that are seen to be unladylike like anger like crying and being upset anything that kind of goes above the normal spectrum and that's from history and is still happening now and it's I think it's so clever this film in the way that it doesn't say because you're a woman. Not, none of the speeches or anything mm. between Jon Rog and, and Veers in the film, he ever says, control your emotions, you're a woman, you shouldn't do this. Mm. But every woman watching that film knows that, that that's what we're hearing because it's yeah. a man saying it to a woman and it's the teacher, it's the elder statesman, it's all of this, I'm the man, you're the woman, stay in your place. And it turns out, and again, they do not lay it on thick. They lay on quite a lot of the controlling your emotions yeah. speech thick but they don't have at any point her actually say no I won't control my emotions I will use my emotions my anger and my passion she just does it she just has that fight scene at the end in the middle of the desert with Jude Law and Brie Larson says I have nothing to prove to you and then she uses her strength and her anger and her fear and her sadness and everything else that she has to stop him mm. but she doesn't say no I'm going to use my emotions now because we don't need it laid on that thick the lesson has already been laid out which is actually using my emotions makes me who I am like, mm. she becomes Captain Marvel by the combination of her incredible power and her emotional ability to use it and I'm not sure you probably saw that lesson yeah, I don't think I did. No, and I think that that's... <laughs> I just thought that uh, that she was being... T I mean, I recognise the, 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 the resonance of the, the emotional, the emotion sort of comment, but I also think she was being advised not to use her powers um, more than anything else. And it was much as about anything, as much as anything, the release at the end is just she just uses her powers... Um, I see it differently mm. and I think a lot of women will see it differently which is constantly being told you can't do this you're not capable of doing this your emotions yeah. are, a, are a negative yeah. mm. and I saw that as no she's harnessing them yeah it's a fair point I mean yeah I yeah um and talking about emotions the scene with her and Rambo that goes on for quite a long time and it's really like pin drop quiet at the beginning of the conversation where they're talking through that they haven't seen each other for six mm. years and um how upset rambo was and rambo is this like uh, calling her rambo is i think that's her name in the comics anyway but it is brilliant because you have all of these like she kind of imbues rambo mm -hmm. r-a-m-b-o doesn't mm -hmm. she she looks like um like she can control herself, like she looked, I wanted to say beefy, but I think that's a kind of sexist thing to say. She looks strong and powerful as a woman. She's fixing jets for her job. She has this house to herself that she's <laughs> created. There doesn't seem to be any man on the scene. You never, t they never talk about the father no. of her child. Um, she's doing everything for her daughter and she's just this really strong character who has this pure emotional 
moment with Viz where she can still be vulnerable and yet still be this strong woman. Two women talking to each other about the difficulty of being parted for six years yeah. is something you would never expect in the MCU. Yeah, no, you wouldn't. No, and there are a lot of discussions between female characters about important things which aren't just about men but about themselves and what they're going through in this film that are subtly weaved into a plot that's also quite dynamic and actiony and has these superhero elements and has this comedy i actually think talos is a bit of a um he's the anomaly really because he does feel like he is this character from thor ragnarok <laughs> who's escaped and is like cracking these jokes. Some of it I, I didn't really know. I would say that's one of the negatives for me is that I think he's playing his role. He doesn't understand the the unit the, the, the feeling, the, yeah. the tone of yeah. the film. Yeah. But his performance Mendelssohn's performance is really good. Yeah. And he has some nice bonding good. moments and you're also seeing something of a loving father with a wife or wife or whatever it is, however they do it with scroll, uh, partner and child. And also, I don't know about you, did you think his daughter was a son to start with? I couldn't tell what gender they yeah. were, to tell you the truth. Which is the way, maybe, maybe, in fact, maybe, oh, who knows if they do gender like that. That's me, like, you mm. know, trying to normalise things. You know, maybe it's actually the first, you know, transsexual yeah. uh, scroll character, which is true because the gender doesn't really matter. But I think, I think he might say... I think he does say daughter at some point in the film. That's when I realised. Because when she's first introduced to Veers, she goes, do you want to play on my pinball machine? Again, saying... <laughs> and as a person who's a computer gamer, I found that really nice that it was a female character wanting to yeah. talk about games. Yeah. So this is yet another thing that I don't normally see unless it's um, Manic Pixie Dream Girl in the film. Okay, what else have I got on my list? Um, I kind of mentioned this before, but Fury is definitely the secondary character, but I never feel like he's not given his way in the film. He has a good role. He gets to crack some jokes. He has this beautiful bonding. Cracks average jokes. Okay, fine. But I still think he has, more importantly, this, this beautiful friendship with Veers, which is never sexually tinged. In no way whatsoever. They're just mates. Yeah. And normally yeah. you've got a young white girl, older black guy. I bet you've seen that all, you know, or maybe the other, the uh, races around the other way. But you normally have some kind of advantage taken or some kind of sexual relationship or, or some kind of joke cracked at that expense. Clearly, Veers could like kill him in an instance. And maybe that's part of it. But they seem to bond. And I think it's really important to have these male-female relationships on screen where there's no sexual agenda. I think with Marvel, though, it, it doesn't really... They, they, they never really sort of go into that area, do they, with, with Super... Occasionally, there'll be a kind of, I don't know, Scarlet Witch and Vision-type deal going on or something, but in the main, it, it's deemed to be a sort of a distraction from their superpowers. It's kind of like the whole Jedi thing that you're not allowed to love, and it's the same thing with Marvel superheroes. So you I think... think it, oh, OK, well... um. I think you might have a point, but I do believe specifically in Veers' and Fury's relationship, this is about more than just that. Not only do you have Bechdel test breaking, you have these strong female characters, you have characters being able to emotionally connect with one another without it being detrimental to the plot or being softened. You have the relationship between a, a male and female character that isn't that isn't sexualized. You have um, a role model of a mother uh, for a daughter to look up to uh, without the need for any male presence. Um, mm -hmm. 
we could talk about the costume. I think the costuming is um, not overly body clinging in any way. And Brie Larson has a banging body. <laughs> She's beautiful. And yet the costume does not accentuate it. Like even Wonder Woman, well, you know, yeah. you had to well, go with that costume okay. because that's what she's famous I, I think, for. I think in, in any superhero, male or female, but I suppose it's, it's particularly true of, of women. If, if, it's about skin. If you, show too much, if you show skin in a superhero, you end up as, you know, the Princess Leia, Jabba Slave type deal going on. Um, and that's, I think, what Wonder Woman did a little bit too much. In my view, but, you know, hey... My counterpoint to that, though, is Black Widow. Black Widow has a full-on cat suit. But do you remember all the pictures in the posters where everyone else is, like, all the Avengers Assemble posters, everyone else is just posing with, like, you know, legs apart, look at me, I'm so strong. And she's, like, got a bum in the air going, <laughs> oh, and look at me, I'm so pretty in my tight outfit. So I think, and, and, uh, don't blame no Scarlett Johansson. no skin, though. No skin, but that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is sexuality is not just about showing skin. I do agree that that definitely does something. But if you look at the difference between how Captain Marvel is portrayed on the screen, on the posters, in relation to how Black Widow at least used to be portrayed mm. until the MCU wised up, um, this is like a strong power pose. I don't know if you know about this power pose. Like, you know, the Wonder Woman pose with your hands on your hips. Like, there have been a lot of scientific studies oh, that, that have shown... Pose. Yeah, that have shown that if you stand like this, you feel more powerful and you come across as more confident. Um, but is that I for think, men and women? Yeah, apparently. And men normally stand like it. They're taught to stand with more power poses. It doesn't have to be hands on your hips, but they stand with more power poses, whereas think... women are taught to kind of cross their legs or hide or seem smaller. And Captain Marvel is all about standing tall and strong without being overtly sexy. She's clearly a female. They never say she's mm. not. She's think, got the long, think, pretty hair. I think standing as a man, standing as a man with, your, with, your, with your hands on your hips is a little bit sort of like, Here's my cock. Type, well, there type, you go. I'd, yeah. I, I sit. You tell my, me. I sit with my legs crossed. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. But power posing is definitely something mm. that women need to learn from men. And the scientific research has shown that. But I think all the way through the film, there is nothing which sexualizes uh, Viz in any way. She's too busy doing stuff. She hasn't got time to sit around. And then she puts on an outfit at one point to look like a 90s girl. And it's jeans and it's a cropped t-shirt and a cap. And she's even got the, like, um, lumberjack shirt around her. They were trying to Nirvana her, her up, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're rummaging her. Yeah. But they could definitely make it sexy. Yeah. And they don't. And it's the way it's filmed. It's a very important way to look at the... It's not even, like, the female gaze. It's the neutral gaze. And I think having these two directors and having these... Uh, female screenwriters and Brie Larson being such an important kind of member of the feminist community all of that together can can make that happen because it happens in so many films where women are posing or are asked to act in a certain way and men don't have any of that mm. um but Fury is never subordinate to her but I think if the, if it was the other way around the female character would seem subordinate and you can it shows in this film how you can write a secondary character irrespective of gender, and they are no way demeaned by being the secondary character. Hmm. Like, he he isn't really the sidekick, even though if you had to define it, he'd probably come within the definition. Hmm. Not sure how I feel about that. It... Sidekick's probably the wrong word. Um... Co-lead? 
He's not really the co-lead. He's not the co-lead. No. He's not. He's definitely the secondary character. Yeah. But uh, you agree that he's not demeaned in any way. No, but she's in charge. Yes. But it's done in a way where he is completely accepting of it. Mm, yeah. And he doesn't do it in a way that's like... Well, th- there's a little bit of a thing where they're in the um, cafe, whatever it is, bar. And she, he says, prove that you're not a Skrull. And then she uses her like electricity power to like um, destroy the um, uh, jukebox. And he's like, how do I know that's not what scrolls do? Which is quite funny, I think. But so she has asserted her power and perhaps dominance, but she never does it in a way that means that Fury has to be the submissive. And that's something you don't see in female-male dynamics. It, it's not, it, or, any, or any dynamics. You normally have one character asserting themselves over the other one in some way. There's a lot of posturing that happens in a lot of films, whether it's MCU or normal films. Mm. And there are so many subtle ways that Captain Marvel subverts what we expect, but, but without making it overt. Um, one of my favourite scenes is where she keeps getting up when you have the montage of her as a girl keep get, falling over mm. and then getting up. What did you think of that scene? Um, it's, yeah, all right. I mean, Give me your patriarchal it's, 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 it's opinion. Quite, it's quite feminist heavy, that scene, isn't it, really? Because um, she's... It's, it's essentially about her being being told that she's, you know... But not not held back. That's that's the wrong word. But Maybe. but but you know, get getting knocked down and and sort of learning to accept second place or second best, if you like. Um, Is that not something that resonates with you? Well, do you ever feel like that has happened to you? Well, I think that could happen to anybody if if, if they if they were to look back at their lives of things that that have happened to them where they've you know, fallen off their bike and not been able to get up or or, or, or finished second in a race or, or tried something that didn't work. and Yeah, it could, it could happen to anybody. But you uh, thought but, it was but, but, but feminist. Not... Why did you think it was feminist? Well, because she's a girl? Well, because it's already been... Because it's happened quite close to the end of the film, doesn't yeah. it? And I, think, and I think that point's already been made quite heavily, so it just sort of feeds into it, really. So you're influenced yeah. by the fact. Because, again, like, I, I haven't seen that before i may have seen it happen to male characters perhaps not necessarily in the montage sense but there is normally a point in a film where you you know it's a classic screenwriting thing isn't it where something happens in the middle of the film and it takes you back to square one i mean i I have a slight problem with the scene in general which is it it is it is a visualization of a screenwriting concept which i generally Mm. would advise against which is the (laughs) which is which is the all my life concept Go on. Uh, it's the one that goes, you know, when you get these speeches in certain films, usually towards the end. All my life. All my life, people I've have told me what to back. do. All my life. All my life. Yes. And this is the moment it's all going to change. If you have to make that speech, then then you, you, you're, you're, you're kind of making a bit of a stretch on, on the script writing front. And all, and all that did, in my view, is just visualise that particular concept. But that had kind of been woven through the film. You may not have noticed, well, but some bit, yeah. of those scenes, not all of them from the montage, but some of those scenes had appeared in earlier parts of her trying to remember her life or something that's actually happening. So I would say, would... I agree with you to some extent, but this is the best possible most resonant but, but, version i've seen well true but then you wouldn't say okay taking at face value you wouldn't say her she's really 
allowed being held back or being pushed down to affect her life that much. She became a pilot. She then went on to a, uh, you know, be an, an alien warrior. I mean, she's not exactly being held back. No, that's the exact point. You're looking at the point that you think it's the turning point, mm. but I don't think it is. I think it's saying Captain Marvel stands out because she was the person that at every time she got back up again. It's not about being pushed down 20 times yeah. and then finally okay. getting up. Yeah. It's about every time I had a setback, I got back up yeah. again, I yeah. dusted myself off and look how far I've come. Yeah. Why am I letting this Cree man... <laughs> who's Jude Law looking a bit tired if you ask me and blue um tell me what to do when I haven't been doing that for my life you oh, have yeah, to remember yeah, as well yeah, yeah, yeah. this is an origin story where she's learning who she is so that montage is like we've seen flashes of it all through the film but this is probably the first time that she actually remembers everything that's happened to her so it's the dawning realization of who she is and it's at that point that yeah. she becomes captain marvel she yeah. has the suit she's pushed back against authority she's harnessed her power by using her own emotion mm. and now she's got a cool mohican an amazing helmet and she can go <laughs> i just thought it was a phenomenal end to the film Phenomenal. Yes, yes. I. The reason for having this Might podcast. Might be that, but <laughs> the reason for having this podcast episode is so I can say to you, <laughs> Captain Marvel, it's not for you, but I want you and all men to appreciate how important it is for female cinema. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do. I, don't, I find it very difficult to, to assess films in that way. I mean, I'm, I'm basically saying That's if this is a good right. film or not. And it's not a bad film. Not at all. Sometimes at all. we've learned in recent years, Get Out, Black Panther, yeah. um, and plenty of other films. I liked Three Billboards. Uh, I think you did too from last year. There's a lot of films. You can see the changing landscape of cinema. Uh, even something like Boyhood, which is a film that I don't particularly like, where the message and the technique is what's changing and that's what's important mm. it doesn't have to be the best possible film but what it does is bigger than that mm. it changes the landscape for yeah. the better and i think get out did for race relations in the horror genre i think black panther did for um people of color uh, being able to be superheroes and also to talk about African heritage, which I think is very important in the Wakanda bit. And this is about strong, powerful women. Mm. So even though we agree that the film may not be even the best film in the MCU, it is the one that spoke so strongly to me mm. and I could look at it and I could finally see, and I'm just one woman, but I could finally see a strong, empathic female superhero who is still able to be a woman, mm -hmm. but also is imbued with all of the qualities that make Captain America, for example, such a compelling screen presence. Can we afford to have two captains? <laughs> Do you know a Captain Britain as well? Yeah. <laughs> I, bet, I, I bet, don't think they're going to make I a bet, Captain I, Britain. I bet he doesn't get his own film. I bet he never appears. <laughs> So I'll end with this one question actually. So we see in the uh, mid 
uh, credits scene that um, the pager message finally gets through and somehow uh, Captain Marvel appears in the S.H.I.E.L.D. compound wherever they are after Infinity War, which I'm fascinated by. Mm. My first question is, how the fuck does she get in there immediately? Well, there's a lot like, of questions I hope it. that is found like, out in the film. I was kind of like, where have you been? And, and I thought you might yes. take the 1990s. Yeah. Because then, because we, you know, we're invited to believe that yeah. there's some sort of time element to this because... Anyway, carry on. Yes, yeah, so, but I was just going to say that this is the first time I've ever seen a superhero film where you know it's set in 1995, you know she comes back in 2018, 19, wherever it's supposed to be, like now, and I'm like, but I want to know. I want to see that film, what she did in 2000 or 2005. Like, normally, you know she's coming, uh, so it's like, oh, I can't wait to I see think, the second think, Infinity War I film. I think you... Uh, Do you see what I mean? I'm like, I want that film. I think, I think you're... You, you won't be disappointed. I'm sure there'll be another Captain Marvel film. We might just explore just that. It's going to have to be at the end of this 10-year period, though. It has well, to it be. Because oh, it's coming in April. Uh, well, Endgame. It, it could be... Uh, yeah, well, for, um, yes, the en Endgame is. But you could do another Captain Marvel film set any time. Well, of, I think that's between, what Ant-Man and the Wasp does. You know, any time yeah. between... 1995 and the present you could say no it. I'm saying my, my point yes I agree my point is that I've never felt so much like I want one now like if you could tell me mm. they could stop time throw me in the quantum realm give me Captain Marvel part 2 the 2000s get some like you know can I, uh, can I, can I ask early, you a question yeah you? that's that's just just on a, on a, a one question from me <laughs> you can have more than was one was there anything about Captain Marvel's powers and abilities as displayed in the film, made you think that she would be decisive in a battle against Thanos and be able to undo what Thanos had done, which is presumably the whole point of Endgame. I believe that she is the key, but she is not the only point. Because the, the, surely the message about the Avengers throughout all of the MCU, this 10 year period phases one two and three is that they're stronger when they work together yeah so i think that it's not going to be just about her i think that because she has power that comes from the tesseract that has some relationship to one of the stones and i was reading yeah. something only today yeah. where there's a theory and i can't remember the source might have been digital spy or den of geek I apologise to the source, but it was um, which said how there are so many characters within the MCU which have a connection with one of or other of the stones. Mm. So no, I don't believe that she is going to solve everything. I think she is one part, and she does have this amazing power that we don't even know. She's spent, hopefully, yeah. 20 years yeah. trying to work out what but, all her skills are. But, I don't even know what all her but, skills are. But we were invited at the end of Infinity War to yes. believe, on account of Nick Fury, having no time at all to do anything. <laughs> His so disappearing. He basically had one call he could make <laughs> and he made it to her. So we're invited to believe that she has some ability that could... Uh, right? Yeah, because I just think she said only use it in the most dire of situations. But was there anything and you what? saw that, that he... made you think, ooh, huh. like... Because I, I kind of still think it's... You mean was... in Captain Marvel, did, did she display anything? Well, I, I, sort of... I don't know. She can, sh she can use her own power well, to I, I, go I sort through of think, that I ship. sort of think it has some, <laughs> have something to do with time. Yes. Doctor Strange uh, and the one time. Yeah. Mm. Because, well, apart from anything else, you, you have to be able to undo what's been done. Yeah, but the time stone can do that. Yeah, it can. But, her, but again, Nick Fury 
makes one call, makes it to her. Yeah. Let me ask you a question then. We can keep doing this. Where do you think Thanos is right now? He was he was hanging out, wasn't he, on the... Where? Isn't on, he in some in, in alternative a hut. universe? In a hut. Wasn't he hanging out in yeah. a hut, like looking at the sunset? I just think that... Although, we... I'll tell you something else. Mm. Um, according to MCU lore... Yeah. Uh, Captain Marvel's mortal enemy... Is? Thanos. What does that mean? What do you mean? Well, you mean as in well, Thanos you know how, could kill her? Well, you know how like there's always there's yeah, always it's the one. Big bad it's like, it's like thing. Captain yeah. America and the Red Star yeah. and Venom and Spider Man. Well, yes. but it's Thanos and Captain Marvel. Right. Okay. Well, she's obviously important. Yeah. I don't know. I think that you're right. I think have they established enough of that in this film? No. That's yet another reason why really we could have done with her appearing a lot earlier and then her Captain Marvel Part 2 appearing before Endgame. Yes, absolutely. But the MCU is full of, like, sexist fanboys, including half <laughs> the people who run it. And, like, they didn't realise how important the female character was early enough. Otherwise, they'd have made a Black Widow movie. Mm. So I think that, yeah, there are problems, perhaps, with establishing character development. But Endgame has just been announced today that it's going to be three hours long. So I'm sure we'll sweet, get half sweet. an hour, yeah, of um, is that, is that working like, out what is the that, fuck is she's that, been doing. What is that half an hour of trailers and adverts? For no. <laughs> no, I think that's four hours we're going to spend mm, in God. the cinema. And do you know when it's coming? April, April 26th. They've really piled that on quite quick. Yeah, that's amazing. So they obviously heard you and said, yeah. oh, she wants to hear, want more. she wants more Captain Marvel instantaneously. Yeah. Well, we are, what your wishes yeah. are, command, come on and we'll... I think there's the quantum. I think it's not just her. You need Ant Man. You need everybody. Well, Everybody's survived, got a skill set. Yeah, because he's in the quantum realm. You need him to do something because I don't understand quantum physics. I've been trying to understand it. I've been really trying to explain don't. it to you now. Yeah, for about ages, how everything for is. Ages. Yeah, all right. I'll, it, um, I don't need to prove anything to you. You do. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, me parroting Captain Marvel. <laughs> I yeah. think we should end this yeah. with me blasting up into the sky. Be gone, young Nick. I'm exposed and it's no big surprise. Don't you think I know exactly where I stand? This world is forcing me to hold your hand. I'm just a girl, a little me. Well, don't let me out of your sight. Bye.